Well, here we are. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 together. Uh, We're going to read all of chapter 3. It's only like 20-something verses. And then run into verse 4. Y'all ain't read your Bible this week, so this will make up for it. Um, Let's stand together once you're there. You ready? Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him uh, as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our, for- the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. That's a, that's a straightforward sermon, ain't it? But, but you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all. And now, brethren, I know you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled." Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. He's about to quote Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him, you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onwards also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. I'm just gonna read you four more verses now. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Check this. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men, just men, not counting women and children, came to be about 5,000. 
that got saved that night. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Um, we're going to title this. We're going we're gonna to title this time together. I've got a title and a subtitle. We're going we're gonna to title this uh, uh, Power. Uh, the, the phrase I'm going to uh, repeat over and over again is power. Now, help me preach my subtitle to somebody. Tap someone next to you and say, friend, can I get a witness? T- tap somebody, somebody to the other side of you. Friend, can I get a witness? Here's our title and subtitle, power. Can I get a witness? Um, he heard Robin Williams standing over his shoulder whispering, Carpe, DM, Carpe, DM. Because sometimes it's time to stand up and say something. Not only did he hear Robin Williams standing over his shoulder whispering, uh, he heard Lynn Mel, Lynn, uh, Min, Lynn, It's Friday. Um, he heard Lin-Manuel Miranda behind him saying, I'm not going to throw away my shot from the pit of his heart. I'm not going to throw away my shot. What did he say? Just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry. I'm not going to. Sometimes it's time to stand up and say something. Not only did he hear Robin over his shoulder, Lin-Manuel, in his heart, but uh, uh, Eminem correctly narrated the scenario and said his, his, his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on his sweater already, mom's spaghetti. Fast forward, he opened his mouth, but the words won't come out. The crowd's joking now, he's choking now, because sometimes it's time to stand up and say something. I, I'm not narrating uh, 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 the Dead Poets Society. I'm not narrating uh, 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 Alexander Hamilton. I'm not even talking about Eight Mile. I'm talking about myself. Um, sometimes it's time to stand up and say something. Specifically, sometimes it's time to stand up and say something about Jesus. I had this moment a few months ago. Um, a close family member of mine is going through kidney failure. Um, and he's absolutely opposed to Jesus, hostile to all forms of religion, um, has said at hol- family holiday parties, quote, the Bible ain't good for nothing but to roll a cigarette paper. Um, so he's going through kidney failure. And a few weeks ago, I, I'm texting him. I'm calling him. I say, hey, man, what did you, you need anything, anything I can do for you? And the first thing he said was, I need you to pray for me. And I thought, <laughs> you want a Who? We had a conversation a few weeks later. I said, hey, man, what do you need? How you doing? He said, hey, can you just find me something good, something positive, something encouraging to read? Oh, there's my moment. (laughs) It's time to stand up and say something. Uh, Robin was behind me. Seize the day. Seize the day. Lin-Manuel was inside of me. Don't miss your shot. Don't throw away your shot. But Eminem had it right about me. I opened my mouth and ain't nothing come out. I froze. I dropped the mic. I dropped the ball. It was time to stand up and say something about this friend who desperately needs Jesus and is on his way to to, to one of the worst seasons of his life. It was my moment to say something and I froze. 
I'm not going to talk about y'all because I know y'all are better than me. I'm going to talk about myself and the people who didn't come to the conference. Some of us, when it's time for us to stand up and say something about Jesus, we get frozen by one or two things. We are either frozen up by this deep sense of incompetence. I told myself, I don't have anything to say that will actually help him. I don't know how to articulate this in a way that will benefit him. It was a sense of incompetence that froze me. And if it wasn't just a sense of incompetence, it was a, a fear of being rejected that froze me up. Jaron, you know he doesn't like Jesus. You only got this good of a relationship as is. You don't want to sacrifice that thing by trying to insert Jesus. The cat got my tongue. It was time to stand up and say something about somebody. Here's one of my lifelong questions. What do I do when it's time to stand up and say something about Jesus, but I'm frozen by my sense of incompetence and my fear of being rejected. This is an important question for me. Here's the theme, generation to generation. This year, God finally got me beyond just living a life of trying to see the fruit of my labor in my lifetime. I'm playing a long game now, probably because of my son here and I was gonna have a son. And I'm thinking, how can I live and do this in a way to where my son comes to know Jesus? How can I live and do this in a way to where not only does my son come to know Jesus, but where my son has a church to be a part of? Chelsea and I, we've got really good friends in our church. They've got two twin baby girls. I'm playing the game now to where those baby girls have a church in 50 years. I'm trying to get this thing from my generation to the next generation, not even biologically, spiritually. I'm trying to get this to my family member who doesn't know Jesus. The number one way, the only game plan we got to go from generation to generation is to stand up and say something about Jesus. But when it's time, I get frozen. This text that we just read, it's a story of Peter in his moment of standing up and saying something about Jesus and not only getting over his fear, but he ends up saying it effectively enough to where 5,000 people at least come to know Jesus. And I think Peter's story is uh, relevant to us because Peter's got a history of being a coward in times of standing up and saying something about Jesus. Uh, the night Jesus was betrayed, three times at least, that's all Luke and Mark told us, three times at least, Peter said, I have no clue about that man. The next night, we find Peter hiding in a room to, 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 to distance himself from being associated with Jesus. Not only did he freeze in the moment, we have record that he actively avoided the moment of having to say anything about Jesus. And here we find him in Acts, 4, Acts 3 and 4 a few weeks later, and he's gotten over the fear. He's not frozen anymore, but he's preaching to thousands. So here's what I want to do. I want to say, ask Peter, what did you do? to get over your fear and sense of incompetence in your moment of standing up and saying something about Jesus. I think what Peter would tell us, I think Peter would tell us, well, first, it doesn't start with what I did, but it starts with what Christ did for me. He might ask you the question, did you see what the Lord has done? Um, all of you from Joplin, we've been in this series in Acts, you know this, Jubilee, you heard me say this last week. Uh, uh, look at the broader context of the book of Acts to get what Peter's getting at. Uh, Jesus says in Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Luke uses that uh, statement as the outline for his book. Acts chapter 2 to 8, church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8 to 11, church in Judea and Samaria. Acts chapter 13 to 28, church to the ends of the known world. 
What we just saw in Acts chapter three and four were Peter and John standing up being witnesses in Jerusalem, which meant this was a fulfillment, if you will, of Jesus's statement. Grammatically speaking, Jesus said, you will, you shall. Greek lesson, that's, that's, that, that, that's um, an infinitive verb. It means it's definitely going to happen. Jesus is speaking fact. Jesus said, it's fact. When my spirit comes, you're going to be a witness, someone who stands up and says something about me in Jerusalem. Fast forward a few weeks later, and here's Peter and John standing up and saying something about Jesus in Jerusalem, which means power came which means Jesus sent power, which means Jesus made good on his word to send the spirit. Here's what Christ did for Peter. Christ sent his spirit, who was power that made Peter a witness. It's less that Peter went out and made himself a witness. It's more that Peter was made into a witness by the power that came. It's less of what Peter did. It's more of what happened to Peter. Power came on Peter and made Peter a witness. Um, um, it's, it's, if I can play with that a little bit, it, power came and had Peter in his own hands. Because uh, it all depends on whose hands it's in. Um, so check this. I've got this microphone in my hand. This microphone in my hand, if I start singing, might get about 50 of y'all to leave the room and say I'm never coming back. <laughs> but this microphone in uh, Beyonce's hand will be the cause of stadiums to fill up. Because it all depends on whose hands it's in. If I had a tennis racket, that tennis racket in my hand might be evidence that it was me that broke somebody's window. <laughs> but that tennis racket in Serena uh, Williams' hands would get you championship after championship, even while pregnant, because it all depends on whose hands you win. If I had a hammer in my hand, that hammer would be the, the, the main evidence to prove who put the holes in the wall of my guest room. But but that hammer in Tim the Tool Man Taylor's hands <laughs> might be a staple in a nationally televised TV show because it all depends on whose hands it's in. A dead body in my hand might never get touched, but a dead body in power's hands rose up in three days. You in your hands might be a coward and incompetent, but you in power's hands will be a witness. Peter, he said, power came on me and made me a witness. So here's my question. What do I do when I'm frozen by fear and incompetence? Peter says, wait, 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 slow down. Let me remind you of what Christ did. Christ sent power, shout power. power. And it was power that made Peter a witness. Peter might say, when you got the power I got, you will find yourself witnessing the way I witnessed. That's what I want to argue for the next 25 minutes is that you got the 25 minute good night. Um, <laughs> you got the same kind of power that Peter had. So here's the next question I want to ask. What kind of power do you got? Uh, tap someone next to you and ask them, friend, what kind of power do I got? Now text them, uh, tap somebody else. What kind of power do you got? Here's the first one. Here's the first one. I got four things. I got four things. Here's the first one. We got power that will show up in everyday life. We got power that'll pop up on you in everyday life. Look at verse uh, number one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. 
rewind to Acts chapter two, and it told us they were going up to the temple to pray every single day. So this event of Peter doing all of this wasn't some Peter going off on a mission trip. This was Peter and John going about their normal daily routine and power popped up. Power will pop up on you in your day-to-day life. It's, it's almost like uh, you, you've seen them, uh, people when they have garage sales, they'll take a sign and put it at a street corner and that thing will be like garage sale that way. Well, what, what Jesus did is he, he placed you where you were at the intersection of your relationships, at the intersection of where you work, at the intersection of where you stay, at the intersection of where you play. He placed you there so you can point to him in your everyday life. Listen to me, mama. Listen to me, mama. You don't got to stay home, but if God does have you at home, he has you there for a purpose. That's to point Jesus, the babies to Jesus. Listen to me, young kids. Some of y'all hate the job you're on right now. You thought, I thought I'd be the president of a company right now, and I'm mopping floors. Jesus has you there for a purpose. Listen to me, listen to me. Some of y'all are in extended seasons of a gap between what you thought life was going to be and what life actually is. God has you there so you can point to Jesus. Let me put another twist on it. It's it's almost as if he placed you there as a bus stop. Uh, I used to ride the bus in my hometown of Lawton when I was a young kid. And I liked the bus stop because it'd be this big old red thing that said LATS, Lawton Area Transit System. And so the bus stop was there, uh, let me know, this is where the bus stop is going to, this is what the bus is going to do for you, this is where the bus can take you. So I just go sit there, and every day, that bus showed up faithfully. Every day, that bus popped up there. There was never a day where that bus let that bus stop run dry. There was never a day where that bus stop let that bus stay there alone. Listen to me, God has you there as a bus stop. He's going to come. He's not leaving you alone. He hasn't stranded you. He's coming. He's not interested in making you look like a fool. He's saying, no, I'm coming. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. That's a great promise when I can't pay my bills. That's a great promise when I've got cancer. That's also a promise for when you get up and say something about Jesus. He's not leaving you alone. Power will pop up on you in every day life. What, what kind of power do you got? You got power that'll pop up on you in everyday life. Here's the second one. What kind of power do we got? We got power that'll push us to do works in the name of Jesus. Uh, let's go to verses six and seven. Check this. But Peter said, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. The fact that Jesus or that Peter did this miracle, but before the miracle, he said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. It means he did the miracle in the name of Jesus. And so it is with you. You might not heal somebody and make a crippled man walk up, but you might give somebody a a, a glass of water. You might go serve somewhere. You might say something and whatever it is, what we do is in the name of Jesus. When power comes, power will make you do works in the name of Jesus. I hear some of you asking, what does it mean to do it in the name of Jesus? Um, It's a three-sided thing, doing something in the name of Jesus. On one hand, it means doing something that matches who Jesus is. Um, Y'all are from Missouri, most of y'all. Y'all know what it's like living around here. You you wake up, you check the forecast. It says it's going to be sunny. So you put on uh, short sleeves. But then it says in the afternoon, it's going to be cold. So you put on pants. Then it says at the evening, it's going to rain. So you put on a rain jacket. 
The next day you wake up, it says it's going to be sunny and snowing and raining at the same time. <laughs> That's why y'all fools in Missouri run around in boots and shorts at the same time. <laughs> you did what you did to match the weather. That, this is what it means to do it in the name of Jesus. It means to do what you do to match who Jesus is. It also means to do it um, as a representative of Jesus. Uh, wave at me. How many of y'all got little siblings? How many of y'all got little siblings? Wave at me. Um, uh, when I was a teenager, I was sitting in my room one day, and my little sister, she's uh, 15 years younger than me, she ran in my room. She said, Jerron, mama said, go take the trash out. And I looked back at her, and I said, you tell Siobhan, go take the trash out herself. So she left. <laughs> 45 seconds later. My little sister comes back in the room. Jerron, what? Smack. <laughs> she said, that's from mom. <laughs> she said what she said and did what she did as a representative of my mama. Now, I'm not saying go slap people, but I am saying um, to do it in the name of Jesus means you're doing it to represent Jesus. And then here's the last one. It's doing it in the power or the authority of Jesus. It's almost like Jesus sent you to Walmart with his own credit card. He said, I want you to shop with my resources. That same one who got up and said, I got all authority in my hands. He says, now you do what you do in that authority. So to do whatever you do in the name of Jesus means to do it as a, to match who Jesus is, to represent Jesus and doing it in the power of Jesus. Power will pop up and make you do it in the name of Jesus. Which tells me that my first question in any kind of interaction with a person who needs Jesus should not be, does this make me comfortable? It should not be, will they like me after it? Your first question should not be, is this a social norm? Your first question should not be, is this within my personality or my gifting? Not bad questions, just not your first question. Your first question is, Jesus, who are you? Jesus, how can I represent you? Jesus, what do you have the power for me to do? Power will pop up and help you do things in the name of Jesus. I'm running through this. Here's the third one. Uh, power will pop up and help you speak words proclaiming Jesus. Oh, I'm about to preach these next few ones. Um, Power will pop up that will push you to speak words in uh, proclaiming Jesus. Um, I'm not going to read through this next chunk of text, but here's what happens. Peter and John, they heal the dude. Everyone recognizes this dude is not being able to walk, so he's running around. And while they're at, the whole crowd's asking, what happened to you? So it says this man literally was clinging, hugging Peter and John, saying, these two are the ones who did it. So now all eyes are on Peter. It's his one shot. It's his moment. He's got 14 verses of Bible to say whatever he wants to say. And did you see what he said? That sermon had one point, maybe two. You killed Jesus. God raised him. We saw it. And 5,000 people got saved. No, notice the thrust of this. Here's the heart of the sermon. Peter said, God raised him. This is a fact that we ourselves are witnesses of. We saw it with our own eyes. Power popped up and helped Peter talk about what he personally experienced. And this is what power will do for you. Power will pop up and help you talk uh, about Jesus from personal experience, from what you've seen of him 
from what you've heard from him, from what you've experienced with him. A man named Carl Medeiros, he, um, he wrote this book called Speaking of Jesus. And he's, his big caution is, I caution you, be careful of primarily leading with arguments. Be careful of primarily giving doctrines. Be careful of primarily giving information. Those things aren't bad, they're good things. He says, what we lead with is a person. Because here's the risk, you could win somebody over to information and they never come to know the man. So, so what we're doing is talking about the man who we've experienced ourselves. This is why you feel incompetent, because you told yourself you need to be a philosopher. You've told yourself you need to be a seminarian. You've told yourself you've got to be William Lane Craig or somebody with all of, the, uh, all of the apologetic arguments and be able to explain the existence of evil. The scripture's clear. All you need is to know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you know enough. So if witnessing is talking about the Jesus that we've personally experienced, that means you got to personally experience him to be able to talk about him. That, 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 that means you've got to meet Jesus in the prayer closet before you tell your kids about him. That means you've got to hear Jesus in scripture before you go to work and talk about him. Here's my sermon to some of y'all. Don't do something, just stand there first. Get to know him first. Here's my sermon for the rest of y'all. Don't just stand there, go do something. Because you know him. If what you know about him ain't enough, nothing's going to be enough. If you know anything about him, he healed me. He saved me. I went to church one day. He made me feel good and I feel better about myself. Just talk about what he did. One of my favorite preachers, Charlie Dates, he tells this story. I'm going to read this a transcript because it's golden. I don't want to mess it up. Um, he tells this story uh, about, uh, so black churches, we do this, did this thing back in the day, like how he, most of y'all white, how y'all had Bible bowls, um, how y'all had like Bible bowls where kids would memorize scriptures. We do this thing called an oratorical contest where we'd like preach because we like preaching to sound good. Um, so we had little kids like practice orator, uh, oratory and rhetoric. And so he says, uh, Charlie Date says, uh, there's this oratory contest where um, this young dude came. He stood up, he was young, beautiful, uh, dark, handsome, looked like me. Um, <laughs> Real articulate type, so he stood up and it said it was almost as if it was, I, we were watching Shakespeare. He got up and he, he articulated the 23rd Psalm. He said he, he paused at the commas, stopped at the periods. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and stills me besides to want. He says he goes through the whole thing. It's almost like this dude had transformed into a, a, a blonde hair, blue eyes, British King James speaking David. He said it was amazing. He said he climaxes at the end. By the time he gets to I'll dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, he says the church gets up and start, they erupt in, in, in applause. And he says, I knew I won this thing. So he goes and sits down. Then he says, next is this little old man walks up on a cane. Uh, he was notorious for broken English. Uh, Charlie says his subjects and his verbs don't agree. And, and he says this, he says this, he says this, he says, the Lord are my shepherd, are my shepherd. He learned me everything. He give me what I need and sometimes give me what I want. 
When people try to get in my way, he blocks the path. He helps me to sleep at night without Jack or Henny. That's some of y'all's testimony. Don't be fake. He lays me down, so I decided not to worry no more because God does what God does. I've seen trouble, but he protected me. I know that one day I'll be up there, and I know that I'll make it down here. It said, by the time this man gets done, people aren't just clapping, people are weeping. And the young dude stands up and asks the head judge, they clap for me, why are they crying for him? I killed the thing, he didn't. The uh, judge says, here's the thing, you know the scriptures, that man knew the shepherd. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit, he might be saying to you, I don't need you to be a Bible college student. I don't need you to be an apologist. I don't need you to be a theologian or a philosopher. I'm looking for somebody who's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I will take your testimony, match it to my power, and make it something that moves people to proclaiming Christ as Lord. Stop clapping, I got 10 minutes. Y'all gonna make me preach. Um, Here's the last one. We got power that will make the word work without your work. We got power that will make the word work without your work. Check the first four verses of chapter four. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Just men, 5,000. So this dude, Peter, is in the middle of a sermon. Let's just imagine. Imagine we're sitting here, and in the middle of me talking, seven dudes come up here and arrest me, and I don't even get to finish. I just stopped the sermon right here. Some of y'all say, cool, I I wish you'd stop. Um, (laughs) And while I'm in jail, The next morning, 5,000 people show up to church and say, we want to join now. These people got saved while Peter was in prison. That's because the power popped up and made the word work. The, 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 The spirit opened their hearts. The spirit made that truth resonate with them. The, the, the spirit moved them to believing in Jesus power popped up and made that word work without Peter's work. And it led to 5,000 dudes just not counting women and children being, I like the way Paul puts it. Paul says this, he said when Paul, he was um, in prison in Rome, probably about to get beheaded in a few weeks for preaching the gospel. One of my favorite uh, scriptures in 2 Timothy, he says, I might be in chains, but the gospel ain't. He ended up getting beheaded. And the reason you're in this room, though, is because that gospel still worked after Paul's work finished. That's because the word works without your word. The word will follow somebody home. The word will keep them up at night. The word will keep keep them from dreaming nice. The word will come back to them at work the next morning. The, The word will follow them around from conversation to conversation to conversation. The word works without your work. 
a few weeks after I froze with my family member, I finally talked to him. Um, he said, he asked again, give me something positive to read. And I gave him the gospel of Mark. And it was like, here, you read about the man who's the Lord of your kidneys and your life. Um, he ain't talked to me ever again. But I wasn't tripping because uh, the word works without my work. Then I saw him a few weeks later, I was preaching at one of my baby cousin's funerals, and I got up and preached John 11. Jesus gives life. He's the resurrection and the life. He gives better life on earth and eternal life after earth. And I'm preaching right at him. And you know what he did after that uh, funeral? He ain't talked to me. But I wasn't tripping, because the word works after my work. The word works without my work. Uh, I even became convinced of this as I've been preaching at Christchurch. The reason I have y'all shout stuff at me is because I'm trying to marry cultures, like not just Christchurch, but Confluence. I'm trying to marry my talkback culture with your leanback culture. And so just try to get us to... Uh, but but here's, what I, here's what God taught me. You can look at me for 40 minutes like I'm stupid. You ain't gotta say amen. I'm gonna stand up here. I'm gonna talk about Jesus. I'm gonna get off. I'm gonna go eat. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to scroll at Instagram and be confident that one of y'all got changed. Because <laughs> the word works without our work. Okay, I learned this experientially a few weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I preached at a conference, and it was probably one of the worst conference sermons I've ever preached. Not because it was a bad sermon, just because it's not the sermon they asked me to preach. I ain't know that. So... <laughs> prepped a sermon on Galatians 5. As I'm walking up the steps, there's a bumper video playing of Jesus healing the man with the legion of demons in him. And I thought, the sermon I prepared ain't the sermon y'all plan for me to preach. So I get up there, I preach, I struggle through it, I go home, I feel like a complete failure. I, I didn't sleep that night asking God, how did I miss that bad? But I found this out on Tuesday. What I didn't know is that there was a man at that conference, a pastor, who brought his son, and his son was never saved and also ran away from the church the moment he became an adult. And somehow that man corralled his son into coming to this conference. And something about what I said resonated with that son, and somehow that son ended up having an impromptu baptism at a creek outside of the venue. I didn't know that man and I didn't meet that son, but that's okay because the word works without your work. God's word, work. if I could let that seep into your soul, God's word works. It worked when he looked into nothing, said, let there be, and there became everything God's word worked. God, that's God's uh, lowercase w word. Let's talk about God's capital W word. God's word worked. God's word worked when he became flesh. God's word worked when he put death to death. God's word worked when he separated you from your sin. God's word worked when he shackled Satan. God's word works without your work. Power pop up and make the word work without your work. So what kind of power do we got? We got a power that'll pop up on us, at, on, pop up on us in our everyday life then that power will push us to do works in the name of Jesus, lead us to say words that proclaim Jesus, and then make that word work after and without your work. If I could summarize what kind of power you got, um, 
The power you got is everything you need. Okay, Christchurch, y'all heard this story before. Y'all gonna get sick of it. Get over it. Um, no one else has heard it. Um, some of y'all gonna resonate with this. Um, when I was younger, we used to drive in the car and my little eight-year-old stomach would start to grumble. And I see them beautiful golden arches. And I'd be like, mama, can we go to McDonald's? And like clockwork, she say, she called me by my middle name, Maurice. Do you got McDonald's money? The question is rhetorical. The answer is obvious. Of course I don't got McDonald's money, Siobhan. And she say, okay then, you gonna McSlide on home and find something at home. But then, Chelsea and I went and visited home about a year, year and a half ago, 28 at the time. Chelsea and I, we're riding out to go to Walmart or something, and my mother calls me and says, Jerron, <laughs> stop by McDonald's for me. This was my moment. <laughs> Carpe. <laughs> so I stand up on the mic, chest out. You got McDonald's money, Siobhan? She said, absolutely, of course I do. Matter of fact, I'm about to cash app you. Before I could hang up the phone, I get a cash app notification from my mom that says McDonald's money. <laughs> Don't clap for her. <laughs> she told me what I wanted to do and sent me everything I needed to do it. That's what kind of God you got. That's what kind of Lord you got. He wants you to witness to them babies more than you want to witness to them babies. He wants you to give the gospel to those who don't know Jesus more than you want to. He wants you to preach the gospel so we can take this from generation to generation. And he's given you the power you need to do it. That, that, that's a strong power he sent you. That power he sent you made a virgin into the mother of a messiah. That power he sent you empowered that Messiah to, to, to tell every demon go to hell. That power empowered the Messiah to tell every disease to get well. That power found that dead Messiah and picked him up. And now that power is in you, making you a witness. We've got everything we need. So Peter, what do I do then? Peter, what do I do? Here it is. Here's our response. Ephesians 5, be filled. It's not just a response, it's a lifestyle. Be filled, it's a present active, which means be filled. And then the next time you read it, be filled. But it's also grammatically, it's, it's, this, it's this picture of, imagine a balloon with helium. When the helium uh, fills the balloon, it makes the balloon go this way. And when it fills the balloon, it makes the balloon go this way because whatever fills you moves you. And this is what he's saying. Let the spirit move you. Let the spirit control you. Power's popping up in your day to day and he's pushing you to do works and say words. Let him do it. Go with it. You know what that means? Stop fighting the spirit. Here's what I know by faith. Every single one of you who's believed in Jesus has the spirit in you and he's pushing you every opportunity you have. And you're either consciously or subconsciously fighting by saying, uh, that would be weird. <laughs> you're fighting him by saying, 
uh, they're not going to like me. You're fighting him by saying, uh, but that's not my style. Paul says, be filled. Go with it. Say yes. He's coming to you every day. Say yes. He's trying to open up your mouth. Say yes. He's trying to get you to do work. Say yes. What, what, if, they, what, if, they don't, what if they don't come? What if they don't respond? That's not your job. Your job is to talk. Say yes. Here's, here's what I want to do. I want to have a moment of saying yes. I want to have a moment together of saying yes, Holy Spirit. I'm committed, yes, to being filled by you in every moment when you pop up. But also, I'm committed to saying yes when the moments come. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to quench you. I'm not going to snuff you out. I'm going to say yes.